Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. For many moms, breastfeeding can be hard, and if you have a baby with food allergies, that can make things even harder. If you're a mom wondering what to do if your baby is showing signs of being allergic or sensitive to certain foods in your diet, you are not alone. On today's show, we're talking with moms who have gone through this before you and an expert who helps nursing mothers navigate this issue every day. This is Newbies. He's gorgeous. Um, it's a girl. Surprise! The whole family's here! So when are you having the next one? It's just poop. Ready for another? Wow, you look really tired. Ready to go back to work? Yellow poop? Seriously? Did you sterilize this? Sex? Now? You've got to be joking. You should sleep when the baby sleeps. She doesn't look anything like you. I thought you already had your baby. I did. Babies don't come with instructions, so there's newbies, helping new moms and new babies through the first year. Welcome to Newbies, your online, on-the-go support group guiding new mothers through their baby's first year. I'm Natalie Gross, mom to a three-year-old boy and a baby girl. We've got a great show today talking about what to do when your baby has food allergies. Now, if you haven't already, be sure to visit our website. It's newmommymedia.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter, which keeps you updated on all the episodes we release each week. Another great way to stay updated is to hit that subscribe button in your podcast app wherever you're listening. And if you're looking for a way to get even more involved with our show, then you can check out our membership club called Mighty Moms. That's where we chat more about the topics discussed here on the show. And it's also an easy way to learn about our recordings so that you can join us live. Today, I'd like to introduce our panel of guests. We have Dr. Trill Pollen with Free to Feed. She is our featured expert today, and we also have moms Jill Itoro and Jed Judson here to share their perspectives on this topic as well. Thank you all so much for being here. And Dr. Trill, do you want to kick us off by telling us a little bit about you and your family and personal experiences with this topic today? We'll definitely talk more about your professional work a little bit later on in the show, but let's have the listeners uh, get to know you a little bit. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today. It is an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. I am a molecular biologist by trade, and I am the mommy to two beautiful little girls who both struggled with infant food allergies in the first weeks and then months of life. I personally have food allergies as well, so can talk to this um, topic from both perspectives and excited to dive in with you guys. Great. Thanks so much for being here. Jill, what about you? Yes. Also, thank you so much for having me. This is an honor and a pleasure. I am a journalist by trade, but I also am a mother of two, a son and a daughter. My son is 12 years old, and he uh, is has allergies that I actually did not discover until he was about two years old. Can go into that a little bit more later. I will say when he was a baby, we struggled with nursing, and I did ultimately end up throwing in the towel. Whether that was tied to the allergies that emerged later, I do not know, but um, it was at 
uh, about two is when he actually got diagnosed and we learned more and then kind of evolved over years uh, to, to get a better handle on how to, how to move, move through that whole transition. Go ahead, Jen. Hi, uh, I'm Jen Judson, and I am also a mother of two. I have a son who is almost four in six days and another uh, little boy who is two and a half. Both of them uh, have had food allergies presented in different ways, and I'll get more into that uh, as we as we talk a little bit further. But one allergic to egg, another allergic to dairy. It seems like it's in everything. So it's been tough to navigate, but I've learned a lot in the process, and um, it's it really does amaze me how much I'm seeing in terms of kids that do have allergies now. Didn't seem to be as big of a deal when we were little. So I feel like, uh, you know, this is an important chance to talk about this. And I'm sure lots of moms are going through the same thing. For sure. That's actually something that I'm going to talk about with Dr. Trill a little bit later is how we do seem to be hearing about this more and more. But first of all, we're all moms of two. What are the chances? (laughs) I noticed that as everyone was talking. Well, moms, how did each of you first discover that your baby had food, food allergies or sensitivities? And what process did you go through to get that diagnosed? Whoever wants to start. I can kick it off. Um, This is Jen. Uh, So I had um, my first experience with food allergies with my oldest son. I do not have any food allergies. My husband is allergic to tree nuts, except for almonds. You know, nothing too serious. If he consumes something, I think he gets kind of an itchy mouth and and a stomach ache, but has never been short of breath or anything. So we we have not really experienced serious uh, food allergies in the house. Um, Didn't really expect for my kids to have food allergies. I never really had much of a thought about it growing up, aside from the occasional kid with, you know, a peanut allergy or something at school. Uh, But my first, uh, we went to feed him his very first solid food past just baby oatmeal. And um, it was egg. And I probably gave him about a tiny, like, couscous grain size of egg. And it, like, went into his mouth and then, like, rolled out of his mouth down his neck and, like probably a minute later, he was just like breaking out in hives all over his neck. um, And then was covered in this um, blotchy red rash from like head to toe, um, all in the the course of maybe five to seven minutes. So we raised him to the pediatricians. And you know, it was very clear that was the only food he consumed. So the pediatrician was pretty sure that he had uh, an allergy to egg. Uh, fortunately, he didn't vomit or have any other issues besides the rash. He wasn't short of breath, um, nothing too serious. So we treated with Benadryl. Uh, we were given an, an EpiPen, in this case, actually an AviQ, um, because there was an EpiPen shortage when this happened. But then ended up with a pediatric allergist who uh, did a panel of food allergy testing, just peanut, egg, and some environmental tests. And it, uh, we determined through that that he was indeed allergic to egg. My second son, uh, very different reaction. And this was around four months of age when I was struggling with breastfeeding, not because of how he was reacting to my breast milk, but just because I was slowly drying up, I think due to stress and some other issues and needed to supplement with formula. And so uh, I gave him a couple of ounces of formula just to see how he would tolerate it. And um, four hours or so later, he was he vomited so much, he turned gray and passed out. And so we called an ambulance and ended up in a pediatric ER for the night. At that time, they 
did not even suggest to me that it could be a food allergy of any kind. But I kept saying, you know, this is strange. This is the first time I've given this baby formula. They thought it might be acid reflux. They kept him overnight. He was fine. But he always seemed to struggle a little bit with the formula. Um, And so then I fed him Greek yogurt at about six months when we were trying different foods. And four hours later, he vomited all over the place again. Fortunately, the reaction wasn't as severe. He didn't faint um, this time, it just, you know, vomiting. And then he kind of recovered from that. But we took him to the same allergist. Uh, he did tests for, um, he had also reacted to oat in the same way, did tests for oat and for uh, dairy allergies. And we thought it was going to be f pies, which I always forget what it stands for, but it's some kind of intolerance to food that babies have and not a full-blown food allergy. Uh, but he tested positive for dairy, um, not positive for oat. So we have been treating him like he is allergic uh, to dairy ever since. Um, so that's my experience in terms of discovering that there was something up uh, and getting them that diagnosed. Wow, that's scary, Jen. Yeah, wow. very. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always afraid to feed them anything new now. Yeah. My experience I had mentioned with my my oldest, my son, really kind of uh, kicked off not until he was two. And we gave him, it was back at the time where you did not give them peanut butter until they were two. We gave him peanut butter for the first time, very small amount. And uh, within, gosh, I want to say 20 minutes or so, he got very lethargic and um, curled up on the floor and laid down very out of character and really wasn't, you know, easy to get responsive. He didn't pass out or anything, but extremely lethargic. So we took him immediately to the pediatrician who sent us on actually to the hospital. And they did at that point say that they suspected it was indeed peanuts because we had just obviously given him peanut butter for the first time. They gave him um, a dose of Benadryl that helped him recover and kept kept him there for a while. We did ultimately then take him to an allergist. He did also get the panel and tested positive for peanuts. What was interesting about it is he was going, he got a little older and was going to a daycare center that was peanut free um, and tree nut free actually, um, because he did, they also advised that he could develop tree nut allergies. So to avoid them, that has also evolved a bit in recent years. He did end up developing a tree nut allergy, but before we came to discover that he was reacting really badly at his daycare, uh, where they provided nut free food and we couldn't figure it out. They were looking at ingredients, if it said factory related or anything, um, and it did not. So we took him back to the allergist and it ended up being sesame. So he had a sesame allergy that was causing him to get covered in hives and again, get very lethargic. So in the years since, I have an interesting experience with allergists, and this is not to say one is better than the other, but our first allergist was much more of an alarmist, I would say. And not that that's a bad thing in a lot of cases, but like I mentioned with the, the tree nut situation, she was very cautious. So she advised us to not go near tree nuts when he had a peanut allergy. She also advised us, interestingly, he tested positive for garlic also. And she said to not let him have any food with garlic in it which is in everything, as you can imagine. Our pediatrician questioned that. 
said that she had never heard of anyone having an extreme reaction to garlic. So we ended up actually switching allergists. And I will say for us personally, I think everybody has their own their own preference, but I adore our, the allergist we ended up finding afterwards because she she did test boundaries within a comfort and safe level. And since going to her, he did end up growing out of sesame, but we did do a lot of trials uh, with tree nuts that we did this for years. And he tested his tolerance over years. And he finally, really only a couple of years ago, got was able to tolerate tree nuts where he now is uh, considered okay to have items that have tree nuts in them. In fact, he's encouraged to eat tree nuts at this point in time to up his tolerance even more. Not something you could do for peanuts, needless to say. Um, he still has an EpiPen for peanuts. We're very cognizant. He tests very high for his allergy to peanuts, but um, the nature of the peanut allergy is such that you really have to be cautious and careful of how you test the boundaries there. So we're very, very careful in that regard, both in terms of obviously not giving him anything with peanuts, but also um, being cognizant of items that are in a factory with peanuts is something we always have to keep an eye on. But he has come to be very responsible and he's even, I mean, I give him a snack and he says, does this have peanuts in it? I'm uh -huh. like, I am your mother. Do you think I'm going to give you? <laughs> but, and I remember, I'll say like in the last note on that, that's what my pediatrician had said. I was had so much anxiety as a mom when he was a baby. And she said, what you have to understand is this is going to be a way of life for him. And he is going to be the one that is checking everything and it's going to be second nature. So mm -hmm. that did come to pass, I would say. Yeah. My five-year-old niece is allergic to peanuts and she's very aware and asks questions like that too. So yeah. It's yeah. Amazing. Wow. Well, Dr. Trill, your girl's allergies presented even before they started solid foods, right? That's correct. So with uh, both of my journeys, my children first started presenting with symptoms very, very early. And so with my oldest daughter, who is now seven, we started our breastfeeding journey. And really early on, just a few days old, she was inconsolable. And what I mean by that is she would cry for hours and hours on end. Um, she was either asleep breastfeeding or crying. Those were mm -hmm. like the, the options. And I took her in and said, you know, I, I don't know what is wrong, but I feel very strongly that something is wrong. She's inconsolable. Can you please help me? And at that stage, I was told that she had colic and that there wasn't anything I could do that babies cry and really dismissed and sent home. And that was disheartening. Later to wake up a few weeks into our feeding journey to find her completely covered in eczema from head to toe with one massive bloody diaper. And I, at that stage, was absolutely terrified. Um, my husband has ulcerative colitis, so I immediately went to like worst case scenario, took a picture of it, sent it to him because he was already at work and said, she has ulcerative colitis. Um, you know, she has a irritable bowel disease and it's, you know, the end of the world is really what it felt like and took her back to our medical provider and said, okay, yep, definitely something's wrong now. I um, feel very strongly about the fact that her continuous crying was leading up to these symptoms that then presented themselves. What do I do now? 
And even then, even with this little tiny human who was bleeding and covered in a rash, I was still largely dismissed and told, you know, some babies have um, food reactivity to things in your diet. Maybe consider removing cow's milk protein or switch to a hypoallergenic formula. And to kind of set the stage at this exact time, I was in my last year of graduate school um, getting a PhD in cellular and molecular biology with a specialty in proteomics, which is a fancy name for protein analysis. So to have someone tell me that something that I put into my mouth could give my daughter massively bloody stools and a rash like this was just completely dumbfounding. Um, I had no idea that that was an option. Um, and so at that moment, I said, OK, well, I really love cheese. Uh, I will admit that. Um, but I really do want to continue my breastfeeding journey. I was told to remove cow's milk protein, so I'm going to do that. And she spiraled. She got worse very quickly from there as I adjusted my diet. And I think that eventually it was a gastroenterologist that we were referred to who just took pity on the shell of a human that I was at that stage because all that was coming out of her little body was blood and her skin had gotten so bad that it was weeping and infected. And this woman admitted us to the hospital. And I remember being at the hospital and getting into our room and, and contacting my husband to come meet us at the hospital. And she was hungry. And so I did what a lot of breastfeeding mommies would do in a hospital room. I whipped out my boob and started feeding my baby. And a medical provider walked in and literally gasped and said, I can't believe you would poison your baby like that. And I was devastated that someone would say that to me, especially after I'd struggled through so many other aspects and facets of our, our lactation journey. And from there, they said that we would have to put her on a 24-hour starvation diet um, where they would not feed her anything. And that is really hard on you if you are literally the food. Um, so I remember having to pump in the stairwell of the hospital because they didn't have another location for me. Because if I pumped in my room, it upset her, which makes sense, right? If someone tells you you can't eat and then they start frying up a steak uh, in your room, that's not kind. <laughs> um, and I remember just bawling in the stairwell and pumping. Um, and on the other side of this 24 hours, they said, yep, since she got better, a little bit better in the 24 hours that we didn't feed her, um, the, the rash got a tiny bit better, the stool got a little bit better. She does, in fact, have a food allergy. Unfortunately, we can't test her to tell you what her food allergy is to. So here's your hypoallergenic formula. And while at that stage, I would have literally fed her the bus dust bunnies that were under the hospital bed if I could, because please just feed my little baby. Um, the downside being that in that moment, I found out that I wouldn't be able to afford the formula that she needed, that she required. Um, so I went from feeding my baby something that like literally was hurting her to feeling like I couldn't afford to feed her at all. And the formula that she needed was about $50 a can. It would only last a few days and we didn't qualify for any kind of assistance. I, I tried my best. And so in that moment, as I'm discovering all of these different things, I started asking the questions of, okay, if you can make 
I hypoallergenic formula that my baby can tolerate. Can I make some kind of concoction with my body that my baby can tolerate? And the answer was a hesitant, maybe, but we don't really know how to help you navigate that. So here's a laundry list of things to remove from your diet. Good luck. And that was the amount of assistance I was given. I went on a really strict elimination diet for a year and breastfed her successfully, um, successful for her, less successful for me. And the reactions ceased. Um, and on the other side of it, as we brought these foods back, we found that she had outgrown these food allergies, which is really common for infants with the type of reaction that she specifically had. And so I don't know to this day what exactly was causing her reactions through my breast milk. Um, she does today have sensitive skin or reactivity to latex and latex foods. Um, when my second daughter was born, she also started presenting with issues very, very early within a few weeks. And this time it was more upper GI. So a vomiting response, really bad reflex, um, really struggled to sleep. And we eventually found out that she did have FPIs, which um, to Jen's point, um, food protein induced enterocolitis syndrome. Um, here for that. It is a non IgE mediated food allergy. And um, she did have FPIs to oats and a few other triggers. And it was in that moment, in that first kind of month postpartum with her, and knowing that I was kind of like buckling up for journey number two, breastfeeding another child with this type of food reactivity that I founded free to feed because I literally in that moment said, I don't know if I'll survive this, this type around. Um, it was so hard. There's got to be research and resources and people that can help me. And when I didn't find any of those things, what I did found was lots of other families. Um, and that was the, the birth of a company, um, as it were. Awesome. Well, we are definitely going to talk more about free to feed and what families need to know about feeding babies with food allergies when we come back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on Newbies, we're talking about babies with food allergies. You've already met our expert, Dr. Trill, the founder and CEO of Free to Feed. She is a molecular biologist with a PhD and initially started her company to create a place for parents to find answers to their questions about infant food reactivity and empower them to reach their feeding goals. Dr. Trill, how common is it for babies to have food allergies or sensitivities? You know, this is a interesting question because um, as we are learning more and more about the food reactivity that specifically infants more often suffer from, we're seeing that this is a lot more prevalent than we originally thought. And so I think what's important first is for me to break down the two main categories of food allergies and then um, tell you sort of, you know, what the prevalence is. So on one side, when we think of a food allergy, stereotypically, we think of 
um, you know, a child who is exposed to a certain food like a peanut um, goes into an anaphylactic shock style reaction that needs an EpiPen, for example, and has to go to the hospital, right? These um, life-threatening, very scary reactions. And that's stereotypically what we think of when we say food allergy. Now, what's interesting is that that is one category of food allergy, and that category is called an IgE-mediated food allergy. And that just identifies what pathway in the body it's going. It's going through IgEs. Whereas there is an entire other category called non-IgE-mediated food allergies, which um, not super helpful. It just means all the other pathways, which there are lots. And these non-IgE-mediated food allergies is what most infants are suffering from. And when we look at non-IgE-mediated food allergies, the most common symptoms there are things like diarrhea, constipation, excessively mucousy stool, um, bloody stool, eczema, rashes, reflux, vomiting, and then all of the other secondary issues that can come from those primary symptoms like colic or sleep disturbances. And so when we look at prevalence, typically when scientists are speaking to families in the most recent years, they're seeing prevalence of parents being able to not only state that their baby had food reactivity, but also identify specifically what the food was. Um, and the prevalence of those families is anywhere from 19 to 35% of families are reporting that. And what's interesting is that, yes, a lot of those symptoms that I just named can be due to other problems, right? Excessively mucousy stool can be from a lactation issue, for example. And so when they dig a little bit deeper, and look to see, you know, are there other things that could be a part of this um, prevalence in this high, high number? It gets eventually dwindled down and narrowed down, if you will, to about 25%, which is one in four babies. That's an insane number to me. Um, that's a million babies in the U.S. alone each year. And the discrepancy then is that that's not how many babies are typically diagnosed with a food allergy because a diagnosis typically requires a test that can diagnose a food allergy. And there are no tests for these non-IgE-mediated food allergies. All of the tests that we currently have on the market, skin prick tests, blood tests, are specific to identifying IgE-mediated food allergies only. So the actual diagnosis of infant food allergies is about two to 8%. Um, whereas the parental reporting, even when narrowed down and identified for other causes, is still about 25% of infants. Hmm. Well, like we've already talked about, it seems like there's been such a dramatic increase in these types of issues, you know, from our grandparents' generation. And you sometimes hear the older generation say, well, you know, there weren't these problems in my day. Why is that? Yeah, that's a super common um, complaint that... We hear from our families that say, like, you know, my my parents don't believe that um, my baby's issues are, in fact, true, things like that, um, when where, like, the discrepancy is there. I think, first and foremost, the biggest reason for what seems like this increase is um, awareness. And part of that is shown very much so in the medical community because these non-IgE-mediated food allergies things like FPIs that we mentioned, or allergic proctocolitis, they actually didn't get a diagnostic code 
until 2016 and 17. Can you believe that? Wow. Even though we have research on FPIs all the way back to like the 50s and 60s, these things didn't actually get an official diagnostic code until very, very recently. So not only are we certainly increasing the awareness behind these types of food allergies because um, of publications and because now there's a diagnostic code for them, they're officially listed. The other prevalent theories, there's a handful of theories behind why we're seeing an increase um, one of them has to do with a sanitation theory, essentially saying that as we have led more and more clean, if you will, uh, lives, that we have impacted significantly our uh, microbiome, which then has led to an increase in um, food reactivity. And so as you think about, especially in the coming, this most recent years as we're, you know, wearing masks and we're inside a lot, things like that. Changing the different microbes that we're exposed to will impact our gastrointestinal health. And our gastrointestinal health, as we know, is directly correlated to our immune system, too. Um, the second big theory is around food quality. So um, how varied is our diet and how um, well is the food that we're consuming actually high in nutrients. So once we have gone through high processing, are we actually getting in all of the nutrients that we need? And that kind of leads into the third biggest theory, which is micronutrient deficiencies. So um, being deficient in vitamin D, being deficient in other nutrients that we need in our bodies, that is kind of all, as you can see, sort of combined. And these are all basically just theories um, that scientists have laid out to say, you know, we think that there's something in here and it's likely a combination of all of these problems leading now to this, like what feels like massive spike in food reactivity. Hmm. Very, very interesting. Thank you for explaining that. Well, I'm curious how the science of all of this works and especially, you know, with allergens passing through breast milk, because I know, you know, like Jen and Jill had said, their kids started having these allergic reactions once they were on solid foods. And I've known kids who were not allergic to anything while breastfeeding, but very allergic to it in solid form and vice versa. So how, do, how does that work? That is my favorite thing to talk about. So very excited <laughs> to dive, <laughs> dive into um, the science behind transferability, because that's what I really focus my research on today, is once we consume a food, how is it transferring to the breast? And why are certain infants reactive through the breast while others aren't? And so what we find is that after you consume a food like a peanut, for example, let's say you eat a handful of peanuts and it travels through the gastrointestinal system and it's largely stuck there as your um, gastric acids and enzymes and the microbiome break those peanuts down. And what we know is that small portions of those peanut proteins will transfer through your gastrointestinal system into your circulatory system. And this is supposed to happen. This is a naturally occurring thing. We're supposed to absorb nutrients and absorb proteins and others through our gastrointestinal system. That's how we utilize the food that we eat. So when these portions of peanut proteins, think of them like a little fragment of a, of a specific protein that makes up a peanut, when it transfers into the circulatory system, what's fascinating is that breast milk is made out of blood. And so anything that's in our circulatory system can wind up in our breast. We don't have any special filtration device between those two things. So 
then as that particular portion of the protein transfers into our breast milk, our infant will then be exposed to that protein and will consume it as they are nursing. And this is a good thing. We're supposed to do this. This is a biologically natural, normal phenomenon that happens in our body. We're supposed to transfer foods that we consume and expose our baby to them. Now, the problem comes when that portion of that protein happens to be the portion that that baby is actually allergic to. So when we think of a food allergy, typically the food allergic response is occurring when the immune system is seeing a specific portion of a specific protein of a specific food. So we're really like narrowing it down there um, and it sees it as a threat. It says, hey, you're a thing I don't like. It sees it as a threat, just like it would see a bacteria or a virus or a parasite. And it's going to respond accordingly. I must get that. Um, that's a bad thing and it's a threat to my existence. And so it responds accordingly. Now, what is fascinating in the research that we've done is that we find that most individuals who um, are lactating will transfer the same portion of the protein to their breast. So um, the four of us talking here today, if we were all to donate some breast milk to a research study, would all likely transfer the same portions of peanut protein to our breast after we consume them. So if our baby is reactive to that portion of the protein, then we will likely have an allergic response elicited through the breast. However, if our baby is allergic to another part of the protein, let's say just a little bit to the left or the right, um, but not the specific piece that we all are transferring, we'll never see a reaction through the breast. And that is the reason why some won't find out that their baby has any kind of issue until they start solids, right? Mom's eating cheese all day, every day, and I'm super jealous. Um, and they have no idea until they start solids or do a formula introduction, as mentioned, that they see this first reaction. Um, whereas others, like myself, do see a reaction right out of the gate um, as they're in the midst of their breastfeeding journey. And what's also important to note is that because in the first year of life, the immune system's continuously developing, oftentimes it's most common that these symptoms will present themselves um, a little bit later, meaning around week eight to week 12 is most common. So everything will feel like we're going great. Breastfeeding is wonderful. I finally got like the handle on it, this latch thing and all that stuff. And then boom, we run into the wall that is food reactivity. And we're confused because I didn't change anything in my diet. I'm eating the same stuff. What gives? Um, and that's because now the immune system is seeing that portion of the protein as a threat where it didn't before as the immune system's developing. Wow. That's wow. That's so interesting. <laughs> I love science. <laughs> so how does your company free to feed help moms navigating this? How do you support nursing mothers in particular? So our big goal is to launch a test kit that would allow parents to detect these allergens at home. And so there's a lot of misconception around um, transferability and how long it's in your breast and whether you can keep breastfeeding. And so what I see since I've navigated this myself is the best way to help parents navigate this is just put the power in their hands, give them the information and the data an ingredient deck for the boob, if you will. And so we've been working very hard on not only developing that product, but now we're at the stage 
of manufacturing getting closer and closer to launching. In the meantime, though, while working on this like big scientific endeavor, um, I started talking to more and more families to make sure that like, you know, I'm not an end of one crazy person out here by myself saying like, I want to test my, you know, food juice, um, that this would actually be valuable for other families. And as I was discussing this with parents who are navigating food allergies through their breasts over and over again, we kept hearing, I wish that someone would just take the time to sit down with me and tell me what's happening in my body, what's happening in my body and baby's body. Um, listen to my journey, give me the science and help me navigate next steps with the resources that I need to be successful. And so I initially said, okay, I, that's a thing that I can do. I can help provide education. Um, I started out on our social media platforms, largely on Instagram, um, dancing to booby facts on the internet, not something I thought I would do with my PhD, but here we are. <laughs> and um, over and over, the number of parents who would reach out and say, like, you know, can you explain this part or this part? I have questions. Eventually got to the space of, you know, let's let's help. Let's educate families in a way that's one-on-one -on -one because each journey is very nuanced and different, as you heard with our three um, backgrounds in food allergies. And so we brought on registered nurses, registered dietitians, lactation consultants, a pediatrician, all with the goal of providing the education that parents deserve in order to help them decide what their best next step is. Because unfortunately, in a typical medical situation, they're falling in kind of a healthcare gap between um, it not being a food allergy that can be tested for typically, and it happening in two different bodies that are being impacted. And there isn't enough time in a 15 minute, you know, um, medical provider appointment to deep dive into these are all the ways that um, cow's milk protein can be listed on an ingredient deck, right? There's just so much that parents have to learn. It's a huge, huge learning curve. So we started offering these one-on-one -on -one personal consults that grew into the food allergy support package, which is three full months of modules of education behind, you know, what is a food allergen? Um, why is it transferring to my breast? How do I make sure that my nutrition is complete as I navigate this? Um, all the way to how do I find a daycare provider? Um, so really important to um, mentioned that the biggest goal here is to ensure that we're helping parents effectively feed and in a place that is supportive and loving. And then um, as we've done that, we've just listened to what they needed. And that's been things like a free from multivitamin or um, a certification course for their lactation consultants and other um, items. Great. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Trill. When we come back, moms Jill and Jen will be joining us again, so stay tuned. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, everyone. Well, Jill and Jen, I want to bring you back into the conversation to comment on what we've just heard. And Jen, I wanted to ask you, you know, what we were talking about before, you have a son who's allergic to eggs. Was Mm -hmm. he at all affected if you ate eggs while you were breastfeeding him? Not at all. I loved eggs and I loved cheese. So um, did I ate so much dairy uh, and eggs while I was pregnant, while I was breastfeeding. So it just came as a really huge shock to me that either of my kids would express food allergies. Um, just very surprised. And um, it was particularly difficult with my first because I was already dealing with, I think, some anxiety and um, feeding anxiety in terms of just choking hazards. And it can be scary, I think, with your first baby when you start to switch to solids. So um, when I went for for the egg, um, it was suggested that I do that before um, they would be able to feed him breakfast at daycare. They said, try egg at home. If he's great, you know, we'll start feeding him egg at school. So I did. And it was just so traumatic because it happened so quickly. It was the first solid food besides baby oatmeal that I'd given him. Um, and I think just like navigating the whole thing was was really stressful. I think one of the better things was finding my allergist. Like Jill talked about, finding the right allergist is really important. And, you know, we were able to figure out what it is we were dealing with. So <laughs> um, I, I think that that was very helpful. But in terms of the dairy allergy, yep, didn't, didn't cause any problems with my breast milk either. Um, the only time it really started to express was when we switched over to formula So um, I find that really interesting. And then also just to, I wanted to add, um, when we were talking about um, hypoallergenic formula earlier, and Dr. Cho was talking about that, I have to say, having to switch to that was extremely difficult just on the financial side. Dr. Cho, I totally hear what you were saying. It's $50 a can. Um, And what I did, I was lucky. I had like the Cadillac of health insurance um, at the time and was able to, after spending days and days on the phone and being on hold and no, you're at the wrong place, no, call this number, call this number, call this number, I finally was able, um, what I thought to get it partially covered um, by my health insurance, but I managed to get my formula entirely covered by my health insurance. So uh, my advice to any mom dealing with that is to definitely uh, see what your health insurance can do I didn't even know I could get it covered under health insurance until I got some advice from another mom. Um, otherwise, I would have just been paying out of pocket and cringing at the bill. So, yeah, that's I had never heard of that there. either. Yeah, that's great advice. Great advice. Well, I know we've kind of touched on this a little bit. And Jill, you had mentioned, you know, did you have enough support from pediatricians or, you know, any other resources, allergists that made this easier for you? Do you wish you'd had more of that at the time? What would you say to moms navigating this now? I think, you know, there's a couple things I would say. Um, One is, you know, you bring up nursing. Like I mentioned, I struggled with nursing. I have no idea if it had anything to do with allergies. I kind of assume it didn't. My milk didn't come in very well. 
you know, it might have been just not for me. And I think that's okay sometimes too. Mentally, you know, I did remember my sister saying to me when I was nursing, you know, that her doctor, she had struggled also. And her doctor said, and was, she was very upset. She said, but this is better for my baby. And her doctor had said, having a mom that is stressed and showing anxiety all the time, is not going to be good for your baby. Now that said, having a child then with allergies and being a mom who threw in the towel pretty early on nursing, you start to feel a little self-blame and that mom guilt that emerges. Like, well, what if I could have nursed longer and built up more immunity for my baby? Would that have made a difference? You know, and I think there needs to be Um, I think in general, always, there needs to be a lot more support for the experience that moms go through and them knowing what works best for them as a parent and not not having shaming because people did actually ask, why did you stop so early? Oh, really? Were you worried? And it's it's with a tone of judgment, or at least that's how it's received. So that's one thing that I think is really important to note. The other thing that I will also say is, yes, I think moms or parents in general, fathers also, of course, need to be their own biggest advocates and their child's biggest advocates. So I, again, like I said, I had an allergist and we stayed with that allergist um, for quite a while that in the long run wasn't a fit for me. And I kind of wish I would have made a switch sooner. I mean, I was... (laughs) for six months trying to find frozen meatballs that didn't have garlic in the ingredients because I thought he was going to look a huge allergic reaction. Um, and my pediatrician was the first to just be like, uh, no, I just don't think so. And I think you are fine. So, you know, I made the switch because I didn't, I did want to be sure. And the second, like I mentioned, the second allergist I went to, she expressed frustration because there's an evolution in how allergies are treated and detected. And um, she said there's there's some that do believe complete, um, like, uh, oh, like emitting them or um, omitting them, I'm sorry, from the diet completely is the only way to go. And in some cases, certainly life-threatening allergies, that's true. But there are other approaches that are emerging. And I found that allergist to be what we needed and what my son needed um, so that we could transition. Like I mentioned, we did a lot of um, in doctor's office testing um, of tree nuts, going one tree nut after another. He got through all of the different tree nuts, taking a little bit like a, a pinky nail size in his mouth and then waiting 20 minutes, doing another pinky size. Wait, we were in there for hours. And he got through every tree nut and walnut was the one stickler that he would start breaking out in hives right when he had it. And so we'd say, okay, nope, not this time. And we'd try it again three years later. And he then eventually did build up the tolerance that he now can do the tree nuts. And that was huge. That was pivotal for us as parents that now tree nuts are okay. They're actually encouraged. And having an allergist explain that to me um, was really, really valuable. The one addition to our story that I think is worth sharing, and again, this goes to show everybody's experience is different, is we very recently went back to the allergist and, you know, wanted to just kind of get an update. We have been hearing like many others in the news about, um, oh, there's, you know, new treatments for peanut allergies, you know, kids can get this patch or whatnot, and, and then they can have, be exposed to peanuts and it's safe. And so we were really excited. And um, I'm sure Dr. Trill could speak more to like what is actually happening there. 
But we went and spoke to our allergist and she said, it is a wonderful progress. She said, but let me explain how it works. And basically at that moment in time, he would have had to basically take medication at the same exact time every day. He would not be able to do any activities for at least a couple of hours afterwards so that he, because sometimes your reactions um, to allergens is heightened if you have too much exercise immediately after, but he couldn't go to sleep because we had to be cognizant of watching and making sure he didn't react. So he would, she said, he can't be off playing with the dog. He can't be playing with the sister. He can't be playing with the street. If he's on vacation, he needs to be, you know, calm for those couple hours. So I remember saying like, how is that going to work in terms of quality of life. And she said, for you, it just might not right now. Um, But there's others out there who can't even go in a classroom where there might be a peanut somewhere in there because they will react. It would be life-changing for that person to not have that concern. But that's not where my son was at. So um, it wasn't for us, but I'm sure it was wonderful others. And as she said, and I you know, would love to hear Dr. Chill's thoughts on this, it is such a sign of progress that if they are developing these things, five years from now, who knows? You know, There might be progress made where it will move forward and he will be able to do something to not be as concerned about exposure. So um, I guess my advice, again, to answer your original question is just know what is best for your family, both in terms of the allergist you use and then also what treatments is most effective, obviously being cognizant of what is healthy for your child, but also what works within your lifestyle. Yeah. Dr. Trill, I was actually going to ask you if there's, you know, a cure or treatment for food allergies. So that'd be great if you could comment on that. Jill, thank you so much for mentioning not only the shame and guilt aspect, but also the the progress, right? So there's, there's two pieces there that I want to hit on. Um, first, on the guilt and shame aspect, I feel like I agree 110% with what you mentioned about this um, undercurrent of kind of attitude towards parents. And it really feels like um, it doesn't matter what our choice ends up being, that there ends up being this undercurrent from one person or another. Um, and we hear that with our families that we work with, everything from those families like yourself that get kind of that underlying comments about, you know, their breastfeeding journey or switching to formula. And on the flip side, also hearing from families that are being told, you know, that it's selfish of them to keep breastfeeding, um, that they're doing more damage than good, um, that they're being judged on the other side of it. So it's unfortunate and unnecessary on all facets, right? Like we're not doing anyone any proper service by that judgment and that guilt. Um, and that's where free to feed has really worked very hard to make sure that we're, like I said, a a really safe space for these families to come to that we're going to support you no matter what your decision is. Everything from formula feeding exclusively, breastfeeding exclusively, any combo in between, starting solids, wanting to wait, all of those things, being here to say like, I get it. You're amazing. I'm so proud of you. This is so hard. And here's the information that you need to make the best next decision. And we help families through all of those things. And 
also giving them the support that they need and deserve as they, their goals and their opinions and their um, tactics change, right? As we get more information and we're further along in the journey, it will often change. And so here for that too, and, and to support that 100%. So I really appreciate Jill mentioning that. And on the side of the progress that we've made, right? Like kind of the the light, if you will, at the end of the tunnel that we're all hoping isn't um, a train that's gonna run us over, which is kind of what it feels like often as you're navigating food allergies, is that we are seeing things like um, OIT, which is oral immunotherapy. We're seeing um, TIP, which is another tolerance program where these researchers and um, even medications that are coming out um, to help induce tolerance in those who have those life-threatening food allergies. And the beauty of these programs is that they're built to allow a person to be exposed to a food and not have it be life-threatening anymore. Um, so you can, as Joe mentioned, like walk into a classroom that happens to have a peanut in it and that's not life-threatening to you any longer. And so deciding whether or not you're going to try to be a part of one of these programs, the good and the bad of it is the good, obviously, yes, absolutely. It's incredible that we're making progress. It's wonderful that there's a focus here. We need it. Um, and I am so excited to see more and more of it come out. The downside, though, is that because it is still in its early phases, that um, for many families, it's incredibly expensive that um, insurance may or may not cover it, similar to the formula portion of it. Insurance may or may not cover it. Um, so for those who it doesn't cover, it's often very expensive. Um, it's often only a available in certain locations. So then parents are having to pay for the travel expenses to get there. Um, it's often a very long and arduous process. And the, the goal of it, the goal of these oral therapies is to very slowly increase the tolerance of how the immune system is or isn't seeing the food trigger. And so what I mean by that is giving the child such a small dose of either a protein that looks like the one they're allergic to or the actual one that they're allergic to. I'm talking like micro, micro dosing of these proteins and very slowly increasing in the amount that they're getting over a long period of time until they're at a stage where they can have, you know, a handful of peanuts or have a muffin that had a walnut in it and not see a big reaction, not need an EpiPen. And is that important and exciting? Absolutely. Is it viable for everybody? No. And I am just like Jill excited to see the progress and I'm hopeful that we'll have better data, that we will have more accessible progress as we keep going in the tolerance phase of things. Well, thank you so much for all of this helpful information and to you moms for sharing your experiences. Listeners, you can find out more about Dr. Trill's work at freetofeed.com and be sure to also check out newmommymedia.com where we have all of our podcast episodes plus videos and more. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to Newbies. Don't forget to check out our sister shows, Preggy Pals for expecting parents, Parent Savers for moms and dads with toddlers, The Boob Group for moms who give breast milk to their babies, and Twin Talks for parents of multiples. Thanks for listening to Newbies, your go-to source for new moms and new babies.
has been a new Mommy Media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.